Welcome to Multifamily Syndication Unscripted, a show that teaches investors the truth about multifamily real estate. Your hosts, Ben Labovich, Sam Grooms, and Scott Hollister have more than 30 years of combined experience in real estate and finance. We are active multifamily syndicators and operators, providing you with detailed and cycle-appropriate content. Absolutely no fluff. So, if you want to be smarter about how and where you put your capital to work, listen up. You will learn what works in today's market conditions. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to Multifamily Syndication and Unscripted, Season 2, with Scott Hollister, Sam Grooms, and Ben Labovich. We are recapping a very fast-paced uh, year Sam and I had. We are kind of plucking out some valuable nuggets for you guys that you can um, uh, maybe use to illuminate the process for yourself. And uh, this is episode three in season two. And we're going to pick it up where we left off talking about uh, management, both of property and investors. And uh, I'll hand it over to Scott. Uh, we're, we're structuring this as a, a little bit more of an interview format where Scott asks the questions and Sam and I try our best to answer and to give you some color and some perspective uh, on the process. So here we go, Scott, take it over. All right. Thank you, Ben. Sam, good morning. Let's talk good about morning. management. Yeah. So, uh, and thank you for the text last night, Ben. Um, ben shot me over a text saying, wonderful job on marrying up. And uh, we had a conversation going of <laughs> That's the secret, right? <laughs> well, dude, you know, I'm on Facebook and this picture <laughs> pops up and there's this gorgeous girl in it and you. And I'm going like, what the hell happened there? And how? How? So I said to Scott, and I said, what did you do? What happened? Because she didn't like look at you, because I know how you look. She did not look at you and say, I think there's a good looking guy. I'm going to marry him. There's got to be more to it. There's a, you know. You just saw the beard and, you know, it was over. <laughs> I'm also talking about myself. I'm also talking about Sam. There's always a story behind it. There's always a backstory. It, it, just, it just doesn't happen just like that. that but I, my point is you, you have a beautiful wife and you're, you, you definitely married up and you're lucky to have had the gumption to ask. 100% man that's that's a key to life right having someone in your corner that you can know you know you know and trust that's always going to be there like even when we started dating we were doing uh single family rehabs and she was there chipping wallpaper with me <laughs> yeah, so nice. keeper <laughs> well i think that's a that's a that's the same story i hear from everyone i mean mm -hmm. Brittany and sam i got pictures to prove it you know in his house that they live in at one point, now it's remodeled gorgeous and, and everything else. But at one point in the middle of the living room, there was a fire stack, like a fireplace, okay? And I have pictures. I remember two years back seeing pictures of Brittany with a sledgehammer. 
uh, <laughs> busting up those bricks in that fireplace. So, so that story you say that 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 picture that you are describing, um, same with me. I mean, we used to mm -hmm. buy a bottle of wine and some stinky cheese. We call it stinky cheese, and go into the rehabs and the units and and turn those units together before we had kids. Things have changed for all three of us a little bit. <laughs> we do it a little different now, but um, absolutely, absolutely. How about the process of vetting management? So switching gears. So what made you pick the management company you went with? You know, obviously they have a lot of units under management in that local area. Did you, were you able to vet, you know, two or three different companies or did you, you know, right off the bat, know that this was the company that you wanted to manage your asset. Sam? So this company is the biggest and the best, and they're known in the area as being the best. So we just went directly with them. Um, we had, we interviewed with them. We had a great first meeting. Um, like we talked about either last episode or the episode before, they referred us to a ton of other people in the industry that we've ended up using, um, like our mortgage broker, attorney, everybody. Um, so we just loved the relationship and we didn't feel that we needed to interview any other property management companies just went for the best. So from my standpoint, a, I had a little bit of a pre-existing relationship with them, uh, but that's beside the point. We're in Phoenix MSA. There are literally three companies, maybe four property management companies of note that if you're going to manage institutional quality assets and you're going to manage them institutionally, that's who you hire. There, there may be three or four. When we talk about property management, we often talk about it in a nonchalant kind of way. I'm telling you there's five, <clears throat> five million population in Phoenix MSA. This is a primary market. This is a huge city. This isn't a village. Uh, you know, Lima, Ohio, that we're discussing property management. This is a very, very large city. And yet I'm telling you, there's only three or four institutional quality property management companies in this town. Everyone knows it, doing things. Yeah, you could bring it in house under certain circumstances. You can bring property management house. Short of that, like I said, there's only three or four. Doing anything other is basically, I think, fair enough to characterize as half-assing it, okay? So <clears throat> let's start the conversation there. You are only vetting three or four property management companies, which is an amazing thing in a city with 5 million population, a metropolitan statistical area with 5 million population, you'd think there'd be 20. And maybe there are just three or four that you would consider institutionally. So that's, that's the, the kind of the, the top of the funnel. You're only starting with three or four. And then, you know, it's, you are going to manage them on a day-to-day -day basis. You're going to manage your managers. So it's a relationship business. So I hate to like say things like, do you click, do you not click? You know, that kind of thing. But it, it really comes down to that because you're going to be working with these guys very closely. And 
relating to them and being comfortable with them is half the battle because they all have accounting departments. They all have reporting departments. They all have legal departments. They all have, you know, construction arm. All of them institutional guys with 10, 15, 20,000 units under management. They all have that stuff. So there's going to be differences between them, but it really comes down to personalities and relationships and, and comfort levels. Okay. So I, I don't know if that gives you and would give the listeners kind of a, a, a bit of perspective on the whole, how do you vet the PM, but we like these guys knowing that there's maybe three others that can do the same job in the same way. Uh, equally well. We can talk about potential differences and the approaches between PMs and things like that, but that's that's in the weeds, okay? Um, by and large, we felt comfortable. We felt they were large enough. They were a known commodity among the lenders, which is important, especially when you're starting out and you don't have executional track record you have to have somebody on your team that the lender is going to be comfortable with. And the, all three of these, four of these companies, they would be just fine, but we just felt comfortable. And that's- And I want to expand on something that Ben said. Um, so they all have that back office stuff, the marketing, the accounting, um, legal. <clears throat> so what separates them, you, you really want to get comfortable with your regional and your managers. Um, and your regional is going to find you the manager. So it's really the regional. You want to find a really good regional. Um, so that's who you want to interview. In our very first meeting with the, our property management company, we had a, a regional in there because um, you're interviewing them as much as the, the company. Um, so find the one, the regional that you like, and they are going to be the one, basically the face of the property management company to you. So, so, so let's identify the infrastructure because I get a lot of these questions. Uh, you know, what, what, what is property management? Institutional property management in terms of the infrastructure looks this way. You have payroll that you are paying for your on-site personnel, both office personnel and um, maintenance personnel. Okay, the super, the assistants, all of that. Above them is what Sam is calling regional. This regional is a roaming professional that has seven, 10, 20 properties on, in his portfolio. He reports to the mothership, I call it the mothership, the actual property management company, the, 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 the offices, okay? But regional is the guy that's going to be coming to the property. He is going to be working with the office staff. He's going to be materially involved in the strategy and controls as far as execution is concerned. Now, what's different among different property management companies is the approach of um, what is more important, the on-site staff or the regional. In other words, do they do you entrust the regional to control the office staff 
and maybe they're less experienced in the office, but because your regional is so high flying, high quality, that's what you want. Because it's the regional that's been around for a while. It's the regional that knows how things should run. And, and the guidance is so solid and it's always ever present that it doesn't almost matter who's in the office. The regional is going to make sure things happen just by office people following his instructions. That's one approach. Another approach is to say, hey, the regional is going to be in the, at the property maybe once a week. So it's important that they're good, but what's more important is that the property management is good. The actual office staff, on-site personnel is good. That They've been around. So, you know, it works both ways. And, and property management see it from these two different perspectives and it can work in both ways. Um, you know, ideally you have good people on both sides of that equation, but uh, when it comes to the PMs, you know, they have so much money to spend per property, right? And so they evaluate, do we want to pay more to the onsite person to get a higher quality onsite person and maybe pay a little less to the, uh, to the regional or reverse that? Okay, because they're all going to charge owners the same amount and then they're going to decide how they want to allocate that. So payroll is what it is. Uh, and we, we, can, we can speak more to exactly what that payroll is for us in terms of dollars. But then you get charged a percentage fee, a percentage of the gross revenue, the gross collections. And that percentage can range between three and 5%. And that percentage is what's going to pay for all of those back office services, plus the property management profit margin, right? And, uh, and that kind of, that represents the infrastructure. So you have two expenses associated with property management. You have real expenses that are passed on to you, such as buying staples and paying for telephones and paying for marketing and advertising and, and all those kinds of things. You also have payroll, which you are paying. There are employees of the PM, but you are paying for them. And finally, you have a management fee, which is going to be in the range of three to 5% that essentially covers the back office, okay? And then if you're doing construction and they're providing that service, it's very common that you're going to see construction management fee. And it's in the range of what I've seen, it's in the range of five to 7% of the CapEx budget, the job that they're doing. So that represents a kind of an institutional property management infrastructure. Mm. So that you're I'm not sure that confused can... when we're talking about regional and on-site and all of that. So there's layers. Okay. And I'm sure that construction management fee is probably worth its weight in gold. Um, you know, especially in the, you know, first asset that you had, let's talk about how you moved across, you know, the next three and what that, you know, construction, you know, budget looked like and, and what'd you learn from, you know, watching them take that over the first time and how have you taken that on yourself to date? I agree with the 5% being worth its weight in gold. Um, they have a lot of expertise. They have a lot of context. 
So anything that they need done, they know exactly the three vendors that they're going to call to come give bids. Um, they know all of the cities, what, what cities care about certain things, what cities don't care. Um, um, if we're adding washer and dryers at a new property, um, they know exactly how long it's going to take for the city to get that approved, um, who to talk to, um, which vendors to bring in. It, it's just worth their expertise, the 5%. Um, if you're going to ever take it in-house, that's going to be the hardest position to replace. Mm. Um, and, and, but we, we, for the uh, exterior, we've continued to use the PM across uh, all four properties. Um, that's that VP of construction that just has all the expertise. They have a separate wing that did a interior, does interior renovations. Um, and we, we started with them on the first property, second, third. Um, but as we bought our fourth property, we decided to take that in house. Um, so now we actually have the interior renovations in house. We have our own team of people, um, that we use for all of the renovations. And then we also, ha uh, subcontract out a few of the items like flooring and drywall and paint. And, now, and, and Scott, this brings us to a little bit of, a, of, of the strategy. So the reason we took it in-house is because obviously we felt we needed more efficiency. The units needed to be done faster, more on schedule, quality control, things like that. Well, you have to ask yourself, why was there a problem? clearly there was, we wouldn't have made the change if there wasn't, but why was there a problem? The fact is vast majority of people, buyers, multifamily buyers, be it syndicators or whatever, value add, those, those magical word value add, what do they mean? They mean reface the cabinets, paint the cabinet boxes, refinish the uh, Formica countertop, resurface, the Formica, resurface the bath, uh, you know, put maybe new appliances in, flooring paint, and you're done. So this is kind of a, a, I call it lipstick on the pig renovation scope. Uh, and this is probably deserving of its own show, of its own episode. But this is not what Sam and I do for, for a number of different reasons. We go well beyond that. We rip out the cabinets. We, we go, you know, we, we put new cabinets in. We do granite countertops. You know, we, we create a product several layers, several levels up from what I just described that everybody else does. And we do it because we're late enough in the cycle because I don't want, you know, to have everything else, everything everybody else has like product that's the same, like in the downturn, there's always a flight to quality and I want to have a little better quality than everybody else. If we get caught in the down cycle, um, you know, this, we could have an hour's worth of conversation around that. But what it meant for the renovation is that the property management team is a good team. They're just not used to doing this level of construction. Mm -hmm. And as we kept acquiring each property, it was becoming a little bit more evident that, yeah, they have a lot of connections, but those connections are maybe 
you know, they stop with replacing the countertops. Not really, they're not really doing granite replacements. They're not really ripping out cabinets. That's not what they typically do for a typical owner. Okay. Mm -hmm. So for us, it meant completely escalating their business model. Well, when you ask yourself, do they really want to do that? If we are one, maybe one of two clients who is interested in this level <clears throat> of uh, renovation, if something happens to us and they hire all these people and they have them on payroll and we walk away, they're stuck holding the bag to a certain extent and they've just put in a bunch of time revamping their business to accommodate basically one client. So it, it was like pulling teeth a little bit. And every time we bought a property and we added the necessity of doing five to 10 more units per month, it just, it, with every step, with every property, it became evident that it was more and more kind of lagging and lagging. So, in order to cope with that and, and, you know, respecting where they come from, that out of 20,000 units plus they have under management, here's Ben and Sam uh, with 500 trying to, you know, we're not going to change our business to accommodate these guys. And, you know, so it's, it's understandable. <clears throat> I respect that. But we did what we had to do. We felt we needed to do it. Well, and I, I don't think it's just that they didn't want to accommodate Ben and Sam. They just, they didn't have a holistic approach. So their, their new renovation team, the interior renovations was completely separate from property management. It was a completely separate arm, separate entity. Um, they just reported to one of the owners. Mm -hmm. So what they did was their sole focus was cutting costs and keeping costs as low as possible. And that was their focus, no matter how long it took. So sometimes renovations were starting to take 90 days as we had 20 to 30 units to renovate per month um, because they didn't want to hire a bunch of people that maybe some months were going to be down and then they have this all this cost to cover. So it was all about keeping the cost low instead of when we took in house and we have this holistic approach said, hey, if I'm keeping the unit vacant for three months, that's eating into my uh, occupancy a ton. And that's costing me every month $1,000 per unit just sitting there. Um, so I might be saving $500 by not hiring a couple of extra people per unit, um, saving $500. But if it's taking me an extra two months, that's $2,000. Why am I saving 500 to lose 2000? Um, and, that, and that's the holistic approach that we take. Um, and, I, and I think we just, they just didn't have that same mentality. And it wasn't just that they didn't want to hire people. They were just trying to keep costs extremely low for themselves. Right. Absolutely. Well, maybe, maybe I wasn't. That, that, that's what I meant. You know, but yeah. Yeah. No, it, it clarifies it. And I think that's that vertical integration, right? Bringing in house, especially if it's not exactly how you want it to go, you know? Um, so staying on that current theme of management, I know we bounced a little bit to the rehab, but what is, what does your week look like when, you know, you're managing, you know, not only the manager, but the construction as well. Is, is there a meeting that you like to have, you know, every Monday morning we talk about the week's goals or what does that look like Monday through Friday? So Ben and I are a little bit more hands-on I think than your typical owners. Mm -hmm. So we don't have a lot of the other ones, like our regional has one other group that he does management for. Um, and they just have a weekly meeting. 
where Ben and I are probably texting and on the phone with our regional throughout the whole week um, and usually meeting at least once, if not more. Um, so there's no set meeting. Um, we're just constantly tweaking stuff, talking to them, game planning. Ben probably talks to our regional daily. Mm -hmm. And we just kind of break it down. So Sam is basically running renovation guys. Um, I am privy to the messaging and I am on that, on that text thread and that, that uh, uh, billboard, so to speak. So I know what's going on kind of, but I take the office personnel and the regional. So I, I, I focus my attention on talking to those guys. Sam focuses his attention, making sure the renovations are on track. Mm -hmm. And what did you learn with the first deal to the fourth deal? Um, I'm sure that Sam has a lot of value to add here. I will tell you that it's not very different. Nobody's going to care about your property more than you, mm. period. So do I feel like some kind of big institutional guy? No, I don't. I, I, you know, we do institutional size deals, but I feel like I'm in the weeds on this. Just like if I was buying a, a 10 unit and I was managing it myself. In fact, I remember the process of that. And it's, it's exactly, exactly the same, sorry. Mm -hmm. So anybody, like I can't see buying property anywhere other than Phoenix. Why? Because I am in Phoenix and Sam and I have talked about it. Like, it's, it's like, no. I, you know, it, what gives us, I feel a competitive advantage is that we're here. We understand Phoenix more so than if you're just looking at data from California or someplace else. Um, but also we're literally at the property every day. We're going to be at the property today. I, I mean, I don't, I don't really know. I don't really understand how to entrust property management to the point where you're literally not. So I was at property yesterday. I'm going to be at a different property today. Sam has been training our office people uh, at, at the third property all week and last week. I mean, I just don't see the difference. This is, I'm responsible for people's money. You know, these properties are the vehicle, but ultimately we're managing people's money that invested in these projects. And I, I would say that's what I've learned the most actually is what, exactly what Ben's talking about. It, I thought we would implement a business plan, get them on board with the business plan and they would go execute. But that's but like Ben said, it's, it's not like that. They you're in the day to day still um, managing them. And Meaning I guess I, I did. Yeah. yeah managing the property managers. Um, and I, I didn't anticipate that. Um, so we've had to change along our tasks a lot more and get more involved as we've grown. Mm -hmm. So that means we're, by, uh, we're, we're uh, hiring our own personnel. We have about 300,000 of payroll uh, already between the construction team. There's four guys in the construction team. And now we've just hired our first office person that's going to help 
Sam with a lot of the uh, a lot of the tasks, and that's just it's just getting started because because we can't effectively um, manage people's money with just the two of us, mm. uh, and and this has been this has been it right so i always thought that i can't if i'm gonna if i'm gonna take 20 million dollars of people's money i'm just gonna do everything myself because i don't trust anybody else what i've realized is that if i don't delegate i can't do a good enough job mm. i can't do everything myself sam can't do everything himself so in order to do a good job managing the 20 million dollars of people's money we have to have help we have to pay for that help and we have to have that help. Mm -hmm. um, that to me has been a shocker. Like I always knew we'd have to manage the PMs. Like I never had those illusions like what Sam's talking about and you thought he'd take it over. No, I always knew that was gonna be it. What I didn't realize is that so quickly we would become institutional and we would have to begin thinking institutionally and build out our operations institutionally and mm -hmm. that's what's happening now and it's happening faster than i ever imagined it would so with that what are the first you know three employees that you'd recommend someone hiring you know once you get to that level what's you know what has helped you the most and what are you looking to do i would say an office person um and they're going to kind of just have their hands in everything, um, whether it's um, re reporting. So we, we do monthly reporting, which is a little bit more frequent than your average sponsor does quarterly. Um, but they can handle help you with the transactions. Just a lot of the administrative tasks that mm -hmm. are monotonous. Um, we, we use the, the same person to help with um, the construction, the coordination. Um, so they're ordering everything from the vendors, scheduling everything, just basically a construction coordinator, project manager role. Mm -hmm. um, I would say that because it, it just frees up your time a whole lot. Um, and that's what I've been, I've been training this person. And that's what Ben was referring to. Um, I would say an asset manager would help. Um, mm -hmm. and, and that's, we actually, we haven't hired this person yet. Um, but I, I think that would, a lot, basically, what Ben's talking about is his daily involvement with the, the property managers and the regional. That's what that person would do. So they would instead know the business plan and work daily with all of the properties to make sure it gets implemented. Um, and, and going back to my previous comment, that's basically what I thought that the regional would be doing. Um, but you still need someone on your side that has the same vision as us um and has the same motivations and incentives uh to implement the business plan and so i, I that would yeah. that was the surprising part was for me is that you need an, a separate asset manager um third position what do you think ben no. did we lose ben no. i mean in, <laughs> investor relations could be one um that's a really popular one yep um you just have a lot of contact with investors, handling all of the calls. Um, so 
right now we're, we're going to use that same office person for a lot of that. Um, but eventually we'll have to have a separate investor relations person. Mm -hmm. well, that's great. I think that's, I mean, that's business, right? Any business you go into, you try to create, you know, positions to, to keep yourself out of it as you grow. And that's always the, the cat and mouse game, right? You're always going to grow. There's going to be new things to learn and, and new people to hire. Um, and that's, it's great that you're training that. So that office personnel, so they're not necessarily tied to any individual asset, correct? correct. That's more for your business. Okay. Yep. Um, and and that you just, I like what you just said. So basically, I mean, everybody says it, but you want to be working uh, on your business, not in your business. Mm. So whatever tasks that you're working in your business that are just the same, that you can use it repetitive and you can pass on to someone, do that as soon as possible. And that's what's going to help you grow. And that, that's what Ben and I are doing right now. Um, just to get us from 500 units to 2000 is getting all of the repetitive tasks off our plate. Yeah. So you can focus on what you, you know, know and enjoy, you know? Um, yeah. And the E-Myth is a great book for that. I think that's where that quote came from, you know, just creating the processes that you know, are repetitive and, and trying to take yourself out of it. Um, yep, exactly. So this is a big topic again. So bringing management in house. So we've just talked about bringing the construction in house and why it's good to do so at, at your level. So what level, or is there a unit count or is there, you know, gross income amount where you think it makes sense to bring management in house and why? It's definitely an income amount. Um, <clears throat> for us, that translates to about a thousand units at our rent levels. Mm -hmm. Um, but you have to have a certain income because obviously the property management company gets a percentage of that. And that's what's used to pay all those back office jobs. So you need to have a regional, you need to have a really good accountant, um, CPA, um, experience in property management. Those are two positions minimum. You probably want someone who handles marketing. Um, legal costs can get passed on to the property um, separately. So that doesn't need to be covered in the 3%. Um, but those three positions, you, you really want to have a handle on and be able to support that. And you don't want it to, be, you want to have some kind of buffer because what happens if there's a downturn and rents drop a little bit or you have some extra economic loss and gross income comes down, well, you still need all those positions. So you almost need an extra, at least 25% in income than you're what's covering those positions. Um, and you're going to need an office. Um, so you have all these, these, expenses every month that are going to have to be absorbed by that 3%. So basically you, you just have to calculate what the, what those positions pay in your area and the office space in your area and back, back into what the gross amount of income that can support that. Yeah. Now are you a function of strategy though, Scott, because you know, if, if let's say if you are in and out of properties within two or three years, then it's difficult to grow the unit count, right? If you buy a property, you reposition a property, you sit on it for 12 months, you show stabilized T12, and then you, you exit the property and that's the entire business plan. And then, you know, then you buy another one to replace that. Then it becomes, it becomes difficult to achieve sustainable kind of understanding of what your sustainable income is going to be in the portfolio because it's so dynamic if that's your business plan. Well, 
do you really want to bring PM in house under those mm -hmm. circumstances? That's another question. You know, whether you can or not, it's a separate issue. Is it a good idea in the first place? Mm -hmm. Those are great questions to ask. And let's just say you get to a thousand units and you're going to stabilize them, you know, for a longer time instead of that 12 month exit. Are you treating that as a separate business to get into? Or is it more just to, you know, have more quality control, kind of like the construction? Because I doubt you're doing it to make extra income, right? Well, it's, yeah, it's both. So it, it's a separate business, but it's basically a non-profitable non business. Basically, that's why I look like <laughs> our, our construction company. It's a non-profit that I spend an, <laughs> an insane amount of time doing working on this non-profit. Um, <laughs> but, but it's necessary. Um, so that's, Of course. Yeah. Yeah, because you're going to see it, right? Instead of, you know, having a vacant unit for 90 days, you know, you're seeing that profit elsewhere, right? Probably in your bottom yeah, line, your NOI. Falls back into fiduciary responsibility, right? So we mm -hmm. are managing tens of millions of people's money. We owe it to our investors to do everything we like. If we see that we can do something that has a better than 50-50 chance of improving the performance of this asset, we, have, we feel like we have to do it. Whether it's for-profit or not-profit, we feel like we have to do it because that's what we promise people. So that's what we do. My question that I pose to you with regard to the PM is really a strategic question. Is it a better idea for us on behalf of our investors to take PM in-house? If we were holding the property for seven to 10 years and we were just accumulating and buying a large portfolio, likely the answer would be very simple. Yes, because then it would just be stable portfolio with a lot of units. We would know what we have and we would have the personnel to, to run it. Uh, that's not quite our business plan across the board. And so right now, uh, maybe it does make sense to bring it in house. Maybe it doesn't. I'm not sure yet. Um, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. It'll become self-evident, I think. Yeah, but yeah. for us, it'll, it'll never be to have a biz extra revenue stream. It's just mm -hmm. going to be if we're forced into, we need to do it um, for the sake of our other business. Yeah. Well, that's great. Words, I, think I don't think I want to have it so we can do third party for other people. I mean, yes. I, I, I've learned to never say never, but I don't see Sam and I doing that right, right now as we sit here yeah awesome great insight and i think that's a, a good place to wrap up we kind of combine these episodes into management and rehab uh sam you want to take us out of this episode oh what do we call <laughs> this is multifamily syndication <laughs> unscripted podcast you know it's coming Hollister, off. come on ben labovich <laughs> and sam grooms we'll see you next time Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Multifamily Syndication Unscripted with your hosts, Ben, Sam, and Scott. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time on Multifamily Syndication Unscripted.